0: Welcome, you are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the January 27th, 2023 Friday reading of the New York Times Travel Section. My name is Michelle Wexler. Today, we will be reading the following main articles In Tripped Up, Help, I Reserved a Rental Car, But There Was No Car for Me, written by Seth Kugel. And Five Stars, Zero Clue, Fighting the Scourge of Fake Online Reviews, written by Maria Kramer. And Following Up with Miscellaneous Articles. We begin with the first article in Tripped Up, Help, I reserved a rental car, but there was no car for me. A reader's reservation got her nowhere with Alamo. And Avis didn't pull through either, raising the question of why rental companies have such a bad record of delivering the cars they promise. Written by Seth Kugel. Dear Tripped Up, My husband and I often fly to Atlanta and rent a car at the airport for the 90-mile final leg to our lake house. Two weeks before our December 6th trip, I made a reservation through Alamo. But when we got to the counter, an employee told me they were totally out of cars. I thought he was joking. I had a reservation, but he wasn't. So I got on my phone, saw Avis had cars available, and reserved with them. After a wait at the Avis counter, an employee told me he couldn't give me a car because they were prioritizing people who had booked in advance. We ended up in an expensive Uber. Can you explain how car rental companies can take a reservation and then not have a car waiting for you? Shouldn't they at least alert us in advance so we could make other arrangements? That from Rene in Carmel, Indiana. Dear Rene, car rental companies have frustratingly variable definitions of the word reservation, ranging from whimsical notion to binding agreement. Something is out of whack here, and has been at least since the December 4th, 1991 episode of Seinfeld, when Jerry steps up to the counter to find the midsize vehicle he has reserved is unavailable. You know how to take the reservation, he berates the poor attendant. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. And that's really the most important part of the reservation, the holding. In the end, Jerry's predicament turned out to be nothing compared with yours. The clerk offers him a compact car, and he accepts. That's a a dime-a-dozen inconvenience that anyone who rents cars regularly has experienced, but it is a result of the same quirky industry practice. Unlike hotels and airlines, car rental companies typically allow customers to reserve a car with no prepayment or even a credit card. That means there is usually no penalty for no-shows, making it harder for companies to predict fleet availability, sometimes relegating large families to small sedans, and occasionally leading to experiences like yours. So I beg to differ with Jerry, Rental car companies don't know how to take a reservation. And I agree with you. The least companies could do is get in touch with customers when they are running out of cars and suggest they make other arrangements. I reached out to Alamo and Avis to discuss your issue and for good measure spoke with Hertz. So all three American car rental conglomerates were represented. Alamo is owned by Enterprise Holdings. That led a manager at the Atlanta Alamo agency to get in touch with you and offer to pay for your Uber from the airport, which as Mike Wilmering, an Alamo spokesman, told me via email, is what the company did for other customers that day. Beth Gibson, vice president for customer experience at Avis, was a bit befuddled telling me that, according to company records, Avis did not run out of cars that day and, in fact, took 70 walk-in customers, far more than usual. Ms. Gibson did say that on rare occasions, the Avis system implements a hard suspend of reservations for a period of time when demand is too high. But there was no record of that happening the day you tried to get a car. So, what happened that day at Alamo? We have a team that closely monitors our bookings and inventory to ensure vehicles are available for those who reserved one, wrote Mr. Wilmering. But extenuating circumstances can, at times, disrupt this. On December 6th, the company experienced an unexpected surge in demand, coupled with multiple vehicles not returned. We also had several vehicles that were due for maintenance and or repair. That doesn't explain why Alamo would run out of cars. Nothing was forcing the company to accept those additional reservations. Having cars due for maintenance also strikes me as an odd excuse since it seems highly foreseeable. Mr. Wilmering did not specify how many cars were not returned or were in for repair, but it must have been a lot more than usual, or it doesn't make sense for Alamo not to have cut off reservations as well. December 6th was the day of the Senate runoff election in Georgia, which both companies suggested may have contributed to the spike in demand. Alamo would typically be able to source cars from other enterprise brands with agencies at the airport, but we exhausted all possible options to provide vehicles to customers who needed them, Mr. Wilmering wrote. He said Alamo has no centralized system to alert customers if no cars are available and that individual branches would be responsible for communicating with customers. This left me with two nagging questions. What can consumers do to ensure a car is waiting for them? And, if hotels and airlines require payment in advance, or at least a penalty for no-shows, why not car rental companies? Jonathan Weinberg, the founder and chief executive of AutoSlash, a car rental site that searches for the best deals, told me that the car rental agencies originally offered risk-free reservations as a consumer-friendly policy and now are reluctant to drop a perk consumers have come to expect. Certainly, it's a failure on the rental car company's part to both predict and manage the inventory properly, he said. It becomes more challenging for them in times of high demand. The problem worsened, he said, coming out of the pandemic, as both fleets and maintenance staff had shrunk. But he'd said the problem is very rare, occurring in well under 1% of the rentals his company handles. To seek advice on how customers can be sure a car, and preferably the one they reserved, is there, I asked not only company representatives, but also called customer service lines to ask whoever answered. Advice was all over the place and frustratingly devoid of promises, leaving me with the sneaking suspicion that companies simply give cars away in the order people show up, no matter who they are or how or when they reserved. The best advice came from a customer service representative from Alamo who recommended calling the branch directly as your travel date approaches. It's easy to find the branch numbers by clicking on locations on alamo.com. They can let you know if there is an increase in demand for your dates that might mean it's worth having a plan B, he said. An Avis representative had a different take telling me the best way to ensure you get a car is to register for Avis Preferred, a loyalty program. She told me it was easy and free, and she was right. I'm their latest member. Ms. Gibson agreed and added that prepaying would also make you a higher priority. Another pro tip, she recommended taking the extra minute or two to provide your flight information when you book a car which allows the agency to automatically adjust your arrival time if your your plane is late. The biggest news came from Hertz, which now requires that renters provide a credit card number when making a reservation. Customers who do not cancel before their pickup time are charged for one day's rental. Lauren Luster, a Hertz spokeswoman, said that the new policy was put in place last February at all corporate branches in the United States, in part to better control inventory and reduce the chances a customer would arrive and not find an appropriate car waiting. Kudos to Hertz, which took the leap of mere 31 years after that Seinfeld episode first aired. Progress, nonetheless. That story in Tripped Up, Help, I Reserved a Rental Car, But There Was No Car for Me. That from Seth Kugel. Next up, five stars, zero clue. Fighting the scourge of fake online reviews. Third parties pay writers for posts praising or panning hotels, restaurants, and other places they never visited. How Review Sites Like Yelp and TripAdvisor Are Trying to Stop the Flood. This by Maria Kramer. Uba Butler knew it was wrong to write fake online reviews for restaurants where he had never dined. But he was 21, broke, and living in his parents' house in Feckenham, an English village 115 miles northwest of London a faceless vendor on a website that advertised freelance work offered to pay him £10, about $15 at the time, for each review he wrote and posted on the travel site TripAdvisor. The job was simple. He would receive an email with the restaurant's name, then he would log into one of the four or five profiles he had set up on TripAdvisor to avoid suspicion, look at pictures of the restaurant's food, and study the menu. The reviews were always positive, raving was a job requirement, and verbose, he said. One post said a waiter was so attentive he should get a raise. Another said something along the lines of, this place has one of the finest Greek pastries in London. I wasn't even living in London at the time, Mr. Butler said, I was writing from a very limited experience of curry houses and chip shops. At the time, I was more versed in beans and toast. It has been 10 years since Mr. Butler, now 30 and actually living in London, has written false reviews, but plenty of others have stepped in where he left off. In 2022, Yelp, another review site, said its moderators removed more than 700,000 posts that violated its policies, including many that were abusive or deceptive. In 2020, more than 26 million reviews were posted on TripAdvisor. The company said it took down nearly 1 million it deemed fraudulent, according to its 2021 Transparency Report. Fake reviews have led to legal consequences. In 2018, the owner of Promo Salento, an Italian company offering to write paid reviews of hospitality businesses, was sentenced to nine months in prison after an Italian court determined that he had used a fake identity to write false reviews on TripAdvisor. Last November, Google filed a lawsuit against dozens of companies and websites, accusing them of carrying out a large-scale scam to mislead small businesses by selling them fake or worthless services, including the option of essentially flooding a competitor's business profile found on Google search with fake negative reviews or ratings. Sites like Yelp and TripAdvisor say false reviews represent a tiny percentage of the overall posts that make it online. They point to their use of technology and human investigators, which allows them to weed out bad posts so they rarely get published. Still, as customers rely more and more on the ratings of people who say they have patronized a restaurant or a hotel, the need to update technology that separates authentic posts from false ones is only growing. In October, representatives from Yelp, TripAdvisor, Trustpilot, Google, and several other review sites met for a one-day closed-door conference in San Francisco to discuss how they could work together to tackle fake online reviews. It was the first time such a meeting had been held, said Becky Foley, the senior director of trust and safety at TripAdvisor, which organized the summit. The Federal Trade Commission, which is looking into strengthening penalties against companies that solicit and sell fake reviews, also sent a representative, Ms. Foley said. The big business of fake review writers is bad for all of us, she said. If people don't trust reviews on Yelp, then they're not going to trust reviews on TripAdvisor. Sleuths on a mission. Review sites use automated systems with built-in algorithms to scour data and detect inauthentic or problematic posts. Neither Yelp nor TripAdvisor would provide details of how their systems work because they did not want to telegraph the knowledge to potential fraudsters. There are some obvious examples of a questionable post. For instance, a large number of positive reviews coming from a hotel in Cancun, Mexico, might suggest that the posts are being generated by the business itself, not by people who have stayed there. Overwhelmingly, false posts are positive, Ms. Foley said. They can come through paid writers or from patrons who feel pressured by the business to post a glowing review or are offered incentives to do so. Nouri Malik, the vice president for user operations at Yelp, said some hotels thrust smart screens in front of guests as they're leaving and ask them to leave reviews on the spot, which could pressure them into giving unearned praise. One hotel in Buena Park, California, offered discounts to guests who agreed to write five-star reviews, Ms. Malik said. Yelp said it learned of the discounts from one of its users. That's just the kind of tip a human investigator is waiting to pounce on. A computer algorithm can flag a pattern or a post, but when questionable reviews need deeper scrutiny, sites rely on specialized detectives who say they also work proactively, looking for potential abuses. Sometimes investigators conduct sting operations, going on websites that sell reviews and pretending to be business owners seeking to boost their ratings, Ms. Foley said. At any given time, I probably have three or four conversations going with different fraudsters that are out there," said one senior investigator at TripAdvisor who has worked for the company for 15 years and was a mechanic before he started. The investigators at TripAdvisor come from a wide range of backgrounds. Some were police officers or detectives who investigated fraud or child exploitation. Others worked in cybersecurity. The two who spoke to The New York Times asked to remain anonymous and, during an online interview, kept their faces hidden out of fear they might be targeted. Some investigators have been threatened by users who were taken off the site after they were found to have written false reviews, Ms. Foley said. The biggest requirements for the job? are curiosity and tenacity," said Robert O'Neill, the senior investigations manager of trust and safety at TripAdvisor. Successful investigators, he said, should have this idea of not leaving well enough alone. Another senior investigator at TripAdvisor said he applied for the job on the advice of a friend, who thought he would be perfect as a content moderator because of his obsessive research into vacation spots and restaurants. My friends thought I was a spreadsheet nerd, said the investigator, who worked as an office manager and in graphic arts before joining TripAdvisor 19 years ago. For him, uncovering false reviews is personal. He recalled a trip he took to London a few years ago for work. In a hurry, he rushed into a restaurant, an unvetted food choice, and bought a chicken hand pie that he ate on his way to a meeting. Later, he was afflicted with horrific food poisoning that ruined the next leg of his trip in the Netherlands. These are moments of our life that you might think of when you look back. And to have it ruined by a bad meal or a horrible hotel, he said, his voice shaking, then trailing off, I just feel great that I can play a part. The FTC, which declined to confirm sending a representative to the October summit, announced that same month that it was looking into creating a rule that would prevent unfair or deceptive marketing, utilizing reviews and endorsements. This scourge persists, said Samuel Levine, the director of the Bureau of Consumer Protection at the FTC, in a statement. Unfair or deceptive acts or practices in commerce are prohibited under the Federal Trade Commission Act. That language could include buying or selling fake reviews. But the FTC said it was proposing a rule to define more clearly what conduct is prohibited and give the agency the power to seek civil penalties like fines on a first violation. The agency has asked for public comment on the rule. Several companies, including Yelp, Google and TripAdvisor, have written testimonials in support of the effort. It's basically extortion. Mr. Butler, the London writer, said his experience writing false posts made him obsessed with TripAdvisor's review system and the power it seemed to hold over the public and restaurant owners. Mr. Butler took his deceit to new heights in 2017 when he made up a restaurant and began writing fake reviews about it. He called it The Shed at Dulwich, a name inspired by the rundown backyard behind an apartment he rented for 800 pounds a month. He described it as a unique dining experience that was open by appointment only and served entrees named after moods like empathetic, lust, and contemplation. He and his friends wrote enough five-star reviews that after a few months, the Shed rose to become the top-rated restaurant in London on TripAdvisor. Mr. Butler opened the restaurant for one night, never charging the guests for packaged lasagnas and macaroni and cheese he and his friends served them. When he revealed his ruse in a Vice article, he was bombarded with media attention. An anchor on Good Morning Britain called him naughty. An investor in Dubai said he would pay Mr. Butler to replicate what he did with the shed for his own restaurant, which didn't even exist yet. He also heard from restaurant owners who said his experiment underscored the problem of trying to placate customers to get high ratings. There is a real sense of injustice that people who work in hospitality feel toward these platforms, Mr. Butler said. That feeling is familiar to Chris Wicken, the owner of The Packing House, a restaurant in Milwaukee that his parents opened in 1974. For years, he said he has dealt with negative posts from two types of people— Customers who wait until they leave the restaurant to complain online, and reviewers who never ate at the restaurant at all. When he replies to their posts, he says, he has learned they are typically looking for the same thing, money or gift certificates. It's basically extortion, Mr. Wickens said. In five years, he said he has spent thousands of dollars sending out gift cards worth $150 to $250 to get bad reviews taken down. What's the alternative? They can go on and keep trashing you, he said. They can create new profiles and keep writing fake reviews. He has four-star ratings on both Yelp and TripAdvisor, but he said he would trade all his positive posts for the end of online review sites. And that's all we have time for. Thank you for joining us for the New York Times Travel Section. My name is Michelle Wexler. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.